There's also a time where I got my tonsils taken out. Again, this all uh, evolves, uh, sort of centres around Yorkshire. So I got my tonsils taken out in Otley because I was living in Leeds at the oh, time. Oh, you, you didn't just... This was, you know, the freedom to choose on the NHS. You're like, I, I think I'll go I north. I want to go there, yes, yes. to that Yorkshire town. Um, and so I had the operation there and they were like, right, you, you need to go home, you need to recover, blah, blah, blah. So we drove all the way back down to... Hertfordshire after the thing and we stopped at a little chef oh nice and um (laughs) these like it was really late at night and I just remember just feeling grotty and my mum was just like oh I'll have a um I don't know whatever it was like a vegetarian sausage roll or something and um there was hardly anyone in the restaurant and and this this woman shouted from where we were sitting over to the counter Margaret Margaret, we've got one of those vegetarians over here. <laughs> it was like, re- honestly, it was the funniest thing. And um, did Margaret come over for a good look? But yeah, I I had had to poke, poke would, the yeah. bear, poke the bear. Um, but it was funny. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with this story. It straddles two centuries. <laughs> okay, fine, yeah, cool. It sits gloriously astride the 1600s and the 1700s, okay? Oh, there's so much going on in that period. There is, but I hope this isn't a controversial statement to start. But I'd say in the late 1600s, life was hard for working-class women in England. I mean, yeah. E- accepting of that initial mm. statement, good. I mean, I w- yeah, yeah, I would say it's hard now. <laughs> <laughs> In a different way. Yeah. Because although they were not expected to marry for status, as was still the case for the upper class women, they would still essentially be entering into a contract to become their husband's property. Mm-hmm. As caring father George Saville, no relation, wrote to his daughters in the 1680s, There is inequality in the sexes, and that for the better economy of the world. The men, who were to be the lawgivers, and who have the largest share of reason bestowed upon them, but you have more strength in your looks than we have in our laws, and more power by your tears than we have in our arguments. So, Mm, basically, a housewife of the time could try to persuade her husband towards a course of action by crying... But would be expected to do as her husband said, cooking, cleaning, and of course, servicing his manly lusts as and when he demanded it. Yeah, I mean, has much changed. I went to a a Catholic wedding not that long ago, and they were they were doing the having to hold and to love and obey, mm. and I I could not stop laughing because the person that was getting married, like he wouldn't stand a hope in hell. Like she wore the metaphorical trousers in this relationship and I was like she would not obey anything that he said like he would do what she said Mm. just made me laugh I think there's a lot of marriages like that these days but back in the day it really was take it seriously because he's going to hold you to that Mm. and sex itself was a risky business for housewives in the 17th century because syphilis was an incurable STI at the time, with up to 20% of the population over 35 having been infected by the end of the century. 
Which is... And it's, uh, I went to a museum and they showed you like the stages of like syphilis. They had these things in jars and um, like yeah. your nose would like come off and stuff, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. And the worst bit about syphilis was you'd show initial symptoms and then it'd go into remission for a long period of time and people would just go, oh, I've cured it. So you'd have all of these people who had syphilis and could pass on syphilis who showed no outward signs for the longest time. Does it still exist? Of course it does, but you, it's easily treatable now. Mm. That's the thing. But yeah, you know, over 20% of the population over 35, uh, as we were going into the 1700s, is just it's a phenomenal rate of adults. Mm. Yeah. Although condoms were available, mm. the first use of the word being attributed to a report by the English Birth Rate Commission in 1666. Strong name. Oh, and strong year. Yeah, well, I can think of nothing more important that happened that year than the report of the English Birth Rate Commission. Hmm, yeah. Maybe that's what set London on fire. The rubber. Oh, the friction that these early early condoms caused. (laughs) Well, it's unlikely that poor families will be regularly using these during marital sex. Mm. Also, these were the kind of condoms that you would um, wash. These were not single-use rubbers. These were sheep, sheepskin. Yeah, yeah. Sheep stomach, it was guts. Yeah, nice. Which you know, it really adds to the sense of romance and how sexy. Let me just get this rotting. Oh no, you have cleaned it from a shop. But from this... a shop from a sheep. The same thing you used to, you know, sort of wrap up a haggis. You're now using to wrap up. <laughs> Maybe what, it's the same. Oh, multi-use. Yeah, yeah get it. <laughs> oh, not after you've used it. Doris, save it for the haggis. <laughs> yeah, it's starting it's starting to get a few holes in it. Maybe we could just use it to wrap up a haggis. And then she was pregnant. Well, I'm gonna get into it actually, because if your husband was loyal and didn't infect you, it didn't mean that your troubles were over, as the other major side effect of sex at the time was pregnancy. Mm, yeah. And although remedies to induce miscarriage were known at this time period it was frowned upon by society at large and the effectiveness was variable because mainly it was taking a load of drugs that would cause you to basically be violently sick and expel everything from every orifice in the hope that the shock that it would cause your body would stop, you know, the embryo from implanting. I mean, yeah, commitment. Yeah, but, you know, the the best way they had to prevent pregnancy was we're going to put your body into toxic shock in a different way and hope that that makes it such an inhospitable environment that it will reject any attempt at pregnancy, which is it's bold. Yeah. To be fair, like women didn't have a bloody leg to stand on, really, did they? Because if they, I don't know, if they had sort of a casual partner mm. and then fell pregnant, then they'd be a shamed person. Uh, and then he'd go off and he'd be like, no, it's not mine. And uh, But then if she was in like a, a marriage and then fell pregnant uh she had the potential of dying well yeah that's the problem isn't it because if if the miscarriage didn't take you would sooner or later probably have to give birth you know you're not going to get away Uh, with it yeah (laughs) nine months stay in there stay in (laughs) the death rate for mothers in childbirth at the time was between one percent and 2.5 percent which is for me a ridiculously high number hmm and for context, if people would argue my claim that it's quite a high number, 
This is higher than the risk of dying from base jumping, climbing in the Himalayas, and is comparable to the risks of becoming an astronaut. Well, that's insane. Yeah, in terms of the death rate. Yeah, so... It's just, it's mad, isn't it? Like, because you would have thought with, like, evolution, and I'm not blaming anyone, this is not a blame Mm. story, but with evolution and stuff, you would have thought it would have been, as time went on, it would be easier for that to happen. Well, I think what it was in terms of the, and I'm I'm no, you know, uh, an expert in this, but I think from the evolution point of view, it was, you are much less likely to die from childbirth when you're in your teens and early 20s. And then the risk gets higher and higher and higher. So the the sort of knock-on effect is that your older females who have the experience of child-rearing are then not having kids because of the risk. So they are providing support and advice to the younger people who are having kids. But, Which is interesting because obviously people never used to live as long, so people were having babies mm. younger. I, mean, I guess the the sort of um, increasing average life expectancy would have had some play into it. Because if yeah. yeah 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 for sure these are problems you only find out about when women are regularly living up into the late thirties, early forties, and Ger- geriatric yeah geriatric pregnancies. Oh my god, I'd be yeah. Can you imagine if you just like got pregnant? And you've been... I need to tread very carefully here. I'm not a woman. Um, mm. If you got pregnant, like, later on in life... And I'm not talking later, later on. Like, above 30 or whatever. And no, someone I'm called pretty, you geriatric. I'm pretty you'd sure... You'd be fucking um, fuming. Because um, M was, what, 29, 30 when she was having him was classed as a geriatric pregnancy. Can you imagine? And there were increased risks and we were told about those. Mm. So, yeah, it's... And that's only 30, like, 29, 30. That's still... In my mind, that's young... Oh, well, yeah, I like to think so, considering we're 34. But as a result <laughs> of the risks that sex presented, both in terms of reputation and as a potential means of death, it is understandable that most women at the time were very careful about who they slept with. Unlike the men, who were very Not. liberal, let's say, about who they would sleep with. And undoubtedly, this mismatch, it led to many frustrated men roaming mm. the streets trying to find a partner and in 1672 it all became too much for one man who decided that he needed to make his frustrations clear to the world at large and he would do so by smacking bottoms <laughs> okay this is like a nursery rhyme like wee willy winkle or something no this this is perfectly true this is what happened in 1672 the unnamed assailant would grab unsuspecting ladies lay them across his knee for a quick spanking before running away. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. No, I mean, <laughs> what? Yep. Can you imagine? Well, I mean, the people of London and the surrounding areas were scandalised. Mm. And he, yeah, he started to get a bit of a reputation, this mystery bottom spanker. He was declared to be an enemy to milk wench's bums. <laughs> okay, yep. However, almost as soon as he had received the moniker of Whipping Tom, Mm -hmm. the bottom slapping stopped. Okay. So it was a short but sweet reign of terror for this Mm. mystery bottom smacker. Was it like a fad? Well, I'm guessing it took a while for people to believe it was a thing. And then the proto sort of press dubbed him 
whipping Tom and were probably really, really disappointed that as soon as they come up with this fun name, he, he went Disappears. away. Yeah. Can you, talking of fads mm. that sort of last for a, a short period of time but cause sort of outrage, can you remember that period of time, and I reckon it was about 2016, and it was imported, I think, from America, where people were just dressing up as clowns and just standing... In like yeah, yeah. There was the a... middle of nowhere, and in in like garages and round the corners of trees. There was a revival of that just at the start of lockdown. Yeah, it, it comes around every now and then. The uh, clown terror. I, I'm, I mean, I'm into it because I don't think I the like 2016 it. was the first time it had happened. No, mm. but yeah, a, a fad that sort of lasts, and everyone's like horrified, and then gone, just like the the spanking of bottom man. Mm, well, it may be that he'd worked through whatever issues he'd had. Or it may have been that he found a woman who was into that sort of thing and he'd settled mm-hmm. down. We we can't know. This was one of those things. It's lost to history now. Why don't they write these things down? Like... But what we do know is that the mantle of Whipping Tom would not end with this first assailant. <sighs> Nine full years after the original, a second man decided that the poor women of London needed to have their rears thrashed. Thrashed? Oh, so we've gone from a spanking to a thrashing. You'll see, because in early 1681, in New Street, London, a servant girl was passing a man stood up against a wall, looking for all the world like he was having a piss. She averted her gaze, as was, you know, modest and proper, uh, and passed by the man, only for him to quickly turn around and grab her from behind. He pulled her skirts up and began pummeling away at her buttocks while she screamed for help. As soon as he had heard the sound of footsteps approaching, the mystery man leapt up and darted away around the corner. This was to be the first of over 50 similar attacks in the area between Limehouse and Covent Garden over the coming months. What a naughty gentleman. Mm. The new body smacker soon took on the title of Whipping Tom, (laughs) which you imagine they just had in storage waiting for another opportunity to attach it to someone. Roller decks. Finally, it will get its day. (laughs) And by the summer, his shadowy presence in the alleyways of London was not only leading to women taking to walking around with knives and other sharp implements, but was also leading to the people of London asking what the hell was the good of having authorities if they seemed helpless in catching this maniac. Mm. So this led... It seriously led to questions about policing and public order. There okay, were there were is, questions raised in Parliament around this. Bef- bef- this is way before like organised police forces, mm. isn't it? This is like parish stuff. Yeah, this is. But it it started those questions about well, how how can society function when this is allowed to happen? Mm. The, the scandal. In the end, you know, as you've said, without a, a police force, without some centralised sort of system of managing it, the good men of the area decided to form a vigilante mob to try and catch Whipping Tom. Mm. We know that works constantly. Mm. Well, they felt they had to act because he started carrying a rod to assist in the spankings. Mm, Okay, upped his game. Not only did he get himself, you know, a little stick, so he could possibly sell it as merchandising down the line, you could buy an authentic whipping Tom stick, but he also decided he needed a catchphrase. And reportedly, after a couple of months of doing this, he started shouting Spanko as the first blow landed. 
so he's he's becoming more theatrical he's he's really they've given him a name for a character and he's now creating that character they've given him license and he's gone okay you want whipping tom whipping tom carries a stick whipping tom has a catchphrase whipping tom has a weird walk Let's do this. Character Please work. Please tell me good. whipping song. Uh, whipping, whipping Tom song. has... <laughs> whipping, whipping, whipping Tom has a song. Whipping Tom with his whipping song. That would be brilliant. You should write that. That could be your hit. Do you know what? I have written historical flavoured songs before. Maybe I should. Oh my god. This is your way forward. Like, it, horrible histories and stuff like that is huge. It is. Right? You need to take... Oh... <gasps> Okay, right, so every single episode that you've ever done on Consistently Eccentric, you need to go back and write, like, a verse or, like, a poem to a tune, so a song. So there's, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of work involved in this. So, so go back, write 78 songs, and... Or just put them together, and then just be like, a year of Consistently Eccentric... Da, 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 da. <laughs> like, and then just do a year's worth. What in a bit like um, song. What's it called? It's the end of the world as we know it by REM. Just really quick. Insert song. Insert song. Yes. Well, that's that's a side project. We'll talk about that afterwards. I think. Mm. Anyway, there's this vigilante mob. They've decided that they're, they're going to catch Whipping Tom, and they decided to try and use subterfuge in the quest to catch this madman. Okay. They were going to trick Whipping Tom by dressing as women and walking alone in dimly lit areas. Unfortunately, though, as RuPaul's Drag Race was still nearly 350 years away from premiering on TV... Cover girl! It was highly unlikely that they looked like women. They were probably going to look exactly like men wearing dresses with badly fitting wigs. <laughs> I mean, some of the some of the contestants on Drag Race do look like that. Well, Whipping Tom was not fooled. He never accidentally tried to spank a man. He was very much one lane. Can I tell you quickly just about a tradition of men um, dressing up as women in the village that I was brought up in? So they they've banned it, not banned it, but it's just not a thing anymore. So every year. Um, after we had the Shepherd Fate, which is where I was brought up, uh, you'd have Morris dancing and stuff. Uh, at the end of it, they'd have. Please the, tell me the... you did Morris dancing at least one. Of course, the they had the Dad's Pram Race, is what it was called, and all the men would dress up as women, like full lipstick and stuff, and run from one uh, one side of the high street, like to the other end, uh, with prams. And it was like a race. And it was like a thing for years. Like, everyone would go out to support their gentleman folk. Um, Did they have to wear heels? I don't know. And was there a minimum heel sort of stipulation? Because I feel like some of the guys would have gone all in and would be wearing, like, a proper stiletto, like a killer heel. And some of the guys would be wearing a kitten heel at best, if not trying to get away with trainers under a sort of long dress. Yeah, I think it was pretty much like a trainer in long dress thing. Um, I I don't think my dad ever took part because he was like a military man and and you just don't do that kind of thing. And men in the military have never dressed up as women. I know. No, so my brother was in a band, right? And he they used to dress up on stage as women, like at like Halloween and stuff like that. I, as a homosexual man, have never put a dress on in my life. 
Well, I mean, I think that just goes to show that some stereotypes need to be busted. Yeah, fine. <laughs> it was a glorious aside. I like it. Yeah. In the end, a haberdasher was accused of the crimes, and although there is no record to say he was convicted, the attack stopped. Either because he was the attacker, but got off on a technicality, or because the real whipping Tom had satisfied his urges and was ready to move on with his life. Mm. As can happen. Fine, yeah, we all change. Yeah, you know, if you're a whipping Tom in your 20s, you might not feel the same way in your 30s. Mm, like, I was a party guy in my 20s. I'm now like an old man who likes cocoa and bit. And you don't want to be the tragedy of a whipping Tom in his 70s. No. You can't really catch the women anymore. You just kind of run after them, ineffectually waving your stick. <laughs> <laughs> you wheeze spanko rather than shout it. It's just sad. Yeah, it is. Give up. But the legend of Whipping Tom would inspire one more rash of attacks early in the 18th century. <gasps> oh, God. Okay, so we've jumped. Right. We're on to the third Whipping Tom. This time in Hackney, mm. which at the time was still actually its own village rather than being just another area of London. So it was yeah. separate, which Hackney was nice. village. Yeah, all of these little towns and villages were really nice when they were on their own. And you know what it's like with sequels. You can't just rehash the same things. You've got to go bigger. You've got to go bolder. Yeah. You've got to do something that's going to catch the attention. So Whipping Tom the Third, he didn't carry a little little stick. He carried a big rod of birch. And he wouldn't bother to... <laughs> a whole oak tree. Pretty much. And he wouldn't bother to pull the ladies over his knee before he started swinging. He just ran up behind them and started swatting away at their backsides with God, gusto. God, that hurt. If they got like the back of their knees. Oh, yeah. He caused multiple severe injuries during the 70 or more beatings he administered over the months of October and November 1712. It's just so, unnecessary, isn't it, really? The first two, no injuries were reported. It was upsetting. It was probably deeply traumatising for the women. But in terms of physical effects, minimal. Whereas right. the third whipping Tom, he was going for it. You know, there were major sort of bruising, contusions. People were cut open just by the sheer force at which he was swinging this tree. Was he like chucky, chucky on acid? If you imagine like a major league baseball player coming up behind you and swinging for the fences. and the first I love it how you, you know, use that reference on me. I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They have lovely yep. uniforms. Um, <laughs> smash into the back of the legs. Oh, God. I bet that hurt. Sorry, my Dyson just fell over. <laughs> How middle class. Oh, not unlike where I his, live. Ghetto. Unlike his predecessors, though, this final, bolder version of Whipping Tom was captured on December 10th, 1712. Mm. Pleasingly, Good. his name was actually Thomas. Shut up. Yeah, Thomas no. Wallace, to be precise. <laughs> Wally Tommy. Yeah. 300 years before the rise of incel culture, Thomas proved that toxic masculinity has always been a thing. Mm, yeah. He explained that he had taken to spanking random women because of one perjured female who he claimed to have been barbarously false to him. So, basically, he had been cheated on, or he felt that a woman had indicated that she would possibly marry him and then she'd gone with someone else. Christ knows why you wouldn't want this man. 
he's obviously in a strong mental place. He's obviously, you know, he's stable. He's doing okay. Yeah. He insisted that this story made perfect sense for, you know, explaining away 70 beatings. Okay. Well, a lady was mean to me, so now I'm going to hit all of them. <laughs> Just give me enough time. I will I will get around to every single one. That's my job now. With this bigger stick. I wonder if it's the bigger stick that got him caught. You know, like, it, he had this... Got too cocky. Yeah, it's, it's quite a thing to try and conceal uh, when you're walking about. Like, yeah, I, like what? Uh, sorry, young chap, why have you got that whole tree in your hand? No, no reason. Yeah, I'm just, just I'm just planting it over there, mate. Environmentalism. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm vegan, about this isn't planet. It? <laughs> <laughs> His plan, though, had apparently been to spank 100 women before Christmas. At least he had a goal, I guess. Then he was going to take a break for the 12 days of Christmas because. <laughs> If nothing else... Because Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's a good Christian man. He doesn't mm. want to offend Jesus. Not on his birthday. No. Uh, and then he was going to resume the spankings in the new year. Okay. However, with the... Ca- I can imagine this written in his diary. Like, <laughs> cross out. Spanking, spanking, uh, Lent. <laughs> oh, yeah, he probably wouldn't have spanked during Lent. That's no. what he would have given up. <laughs> yeah. Getting towards the end, it's like, fucking Easter... Easter, I'm going to spank so many people. (laughs) (laughs) He's had to lock it away in the woodshed. His little spanking stick. Handed the key to someone. like, don't give it back to me. No matter what I say, until we meet at Easter service, do not hand me that key. What a rotter. But yes, he was caught. uh, And as is always the way with the monster, when you see it, when you see the backstory, when you get an explanation... It loses its appeal. Mm. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. I don't want to know why Jason is killing everyone. It's enough that he's doing it. I don't need yeah. to know that he couldn't swim. That's. <laughs> what, I don't want to feel empathy for him. I want him to be a relentless killer machine. I want my whipping Tom to be, uh, you know, the sheer spirit of spanking. I, don't... I think people do that to, like, mind fuck with you a little bit, don't they? Especially in horror films. They're like, oh, this person's doing something really bad, but hold on, wait. They had trauma, so are they really bad? And then you have to like weigh up, like, oh my god, I feel sorry for this killer, or whipper, or <laughs> do I feel sorry for the whip. victim? Well, no, no I haven't. You either. always feel sorry for the victim. <laughs> it's not a, an either or. You can feel sorry for the victim and have some empathy for the, uh, you know, the assaulter. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. We should always, just to be clear, we always have sympathy for the victims. Yes. Yes. But. Whatever the reason, we've had no more Whipping Toms. Until today. Well, to this point, that's what I was going to say. The last one was in 1712, but maybe he'll make a glorious comeback. And was it only in London? Only in London. So, Whipping Tom, the third iteration, arrested and charged in 1712. Did that go on his gravestone? I like to think it would. Sir Tom of Whipping, the third... What's his name again? It was Thomas Wallace. Thomas Wallace. Thomas Wallace Whipping. Thomas Will... Yeah, fine. Thomas Whipping Wallace. <laughs> like the bottoms. Yeah. I'm assuming he died quite soon afterwards. Yeah. However, the capture of Whipping Tom did not mean that the bottoms of women in the 1700s would go unmolested. Mm-hmm. As in 1788, a new threat arose. 
and this time it was the bottoms of the upper class of women of Georgian London that were at risk. So did people pay a bit more attention now that it wasn't the poor that were being molested? Isn't it always the way? Mm, So in May 1788, Miss Maria Smith was walking down Fleet Street when a vulgar-looking short man began following her. Was it you? I can't actually vouch for my uh, whereabouts. Not that you're vulgar. That's awful. I meant because it was a short man. Like, you're a beautiful human, Joseph. Normally I wouldn't mention the guy's height, but it comes into play later on. So he began following her. uh, And even worse, he was trying to engage her in lewd conversation, which is how it was described in in the reports I read, which I can only assume means things like, show us your tits. (laughs) Like wolf whistling. Yeah, the the Georgian version of wolf whistling is what it must have been. Maria, <laughs> Show us your bosoms. <laughs> yes. Would you be so kind as to remove your many, many corsets? <laughs> I will remove my pantaloons. Maria told him to go away mm. with no success and was relieved when she finally reached her destination and knocked on the door of her friend's house in Johnson's Court. Fanar, fanar. Mm. However, the man quickly jumped up onto the step beside her and stabbed her under the left breast and in the left thigh with a small blade. What? Okay, so this is... Oh, it's an... Yeah, it's... This is way worse than whipping Tom. Yeah, he did this as the door was being opened. Maria, being a Georgian woman, immediately fainted into the arms of her friend Mm. and was supported to get inside. The attacker was reported to not have run away, but to have stood and watched this with perfect composure before going on his way as if nothing had happened. So he wasn't a quick spanko and I'm out. He he stabbed her twice and then just stood and watched as she struggled into the house Mm. before he just, oh, well, that's done. (laughs) Yep, achieved. Off to work. Next. (laughs) Yep. Luckily for Maria, the wounds were not particularly deep and they were easily dressed. However, she would be the first of over 50 victims of this new terror that the press of the time quickly dubbed the Monster of London. Dun, dun, dun. And sadly for the women of London, a golden opportunity to catch the monster before he really got going was squandered. The monster decided to target a pair of sisters called Mrs Franklin and Kitty Wheeler. I'm assuming cool... Mrs. Franklin was the married one and Kitty Wheeler was the uh, unmarried, younger, I like that name. Lucky... What, Kitty? Yeah. Yeah, she was the sassy one. Yeah. Hey, Kitty girl. He had attempted to approach them twice over a few days, but each mm. time had been scared off by the amount of other people close by before he had been able to do any more than verbally abuse them. So it isn't like he had just thought, oh, I'll wait for another day. He'd still shouted... Show us your tits! But he hadn't gone through with the stabbing because although being lewd was bound to elicit some tuts and some, you know, fainting women, it wasn't going to have people try to arrest him. That escalates quickly, doesn't it? From I mean, obviously, uh, abuse is abuse and and, and shouting things at people is just not cool. But from from that to, like, just stabbing them Mm. is extreme in a short space of time. Well, this time he's been, he's been following them for maybe three days at this point, looking for an opportunity, I'm assuming, to stab. And unfortunately, they've just, like women today do, they've stuck to well-lit streets with uh, lots of people there, mm. you know, kept themselves in public for fear of this maniac. Yeah. 
they also decided that they'd tell their dad. Parslow okay. Wheeler, which is a name you don't hear anymore. Parslow. Say that again. Parslow. Parslow. I've, do you know, I've never heard that, ever. Well, even though it sounds very genteel, doesn't it? Parslow mm. Wheeler. You imagine he's like a vicar or, you know, he, he writes... Is it like pa- Parslow Wheeler? Yeah, he ran a rough pub with a reputation for getting into fights. Oh, a bit of a boozer. Yeah, yeah. Parslow. Yeah. The pub he owned was a tavern on James's Street, and Parslow mm. decided to start tailing his daughters as they made their way about London in the hopes of catching the man who had been shouting obscenity. So they came to him and said, look, this short, vulgar bloke, mm. two days in a row now, he's come and shouted at us to show us, you know, show us your tits. Yeah. And Dad went, right, what I'll do... I'll cut him. Yeah, I'll hang back, girls. I'll just follow you around for a day, and as soon as he shouts that, I'll grab him, and I'll slice him up good and proper. Yeah. He can't be shouting that kind of shit without a tongue, can he? Sort it out. Absolutely. The two ladies were walking in Bennett Street when the monster tried for a third time and approached them, making his lewd comments. Incensed, Parslow tackled him from behind and quickly had the man in a headlock. This should have been the end of things, only Parslow had a bit of a reputation and he'd made more than a few enemies over the years. And when the bystanders saw that he was throttling a much smaller man in the middle of the street, they assumed Parslow was the aggressor and leapt to the defence <laughs> of the monster. It. Yeah, who was able to uh, get away in the confusion. So, if it had been any upstanding citizen who had made this citizen's arrest, everyone mm. would have been applauding. But you know, you because hear a kerfuffle, was... you turn around, it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's Parslow. Yeah. Who's he attacking? That, that guy can't be five foot two. <laughs> Hundred pounds soaking wet through. Quickly, lads, let's save him. And off they went and beat Parslow up. Oh no, no way. Although he never approached the two women again, they did report several occasions where the person they believed to be the monster was seen standing outside of their house, just smirking. Ah, oh, that's freaky, man, isn't it? Yeah. Like he wasn't—he wasn't going to try again. He'd realised that he'd lost, but he could still go and say, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, smug, smug." Very brazen, I think, is the word I'd be using so far. Stupid. Well, throughout 1789, the amount of monster attacks increased, with the monster now often shouting that he would like to kill women during the assaults. So why did, why has he not been in trouble for, like, stabbing this person? Well, no one's caught him. Oh. He has, you know, people are aware of the fact that there's this bloke going around stabbing random women in the uh, legs and buttocks and mm. chests, but... No one's managed to catch him, and he's ramping it up because he's starting to say he wants to kill women, which is, to me, a concern. Yeah. I'm not yeah, happy about it, I've got to oh, say. Yeah, yeah. And well, he outraged. Was... But he also began experimenting with how he attacked. Sometimes he'd attach a blade to his knee so that he could kick women in the bottom in order <laughs> to cut them. And other times he would conceal a blade in a nosegay. In a what? A nosegay. What's that? It's like if you imagine a large buttonhole that you wear at weddings, so like a collection of flowers Uh, that you wear on your lapel. So what he'd do is he'd wear this large sort of colourful nosegay, which was apparently quite clearly fake, and he would walk up to women and ask them to sniff it. And when they lent in to, to do a sniff, because he thought, well, if I just do this, the uncomfortable man might go away, he would push forward with his breast... Uh, and there was a, a blade concealed within the nosegay, so he would cut the faces of the women. What that the way. hell is wrong with this man? 
uh, quite a lot, I'd say. <laughs> but yeah. that's just me. I'm no psychologist. The one constant, though, was that the monster would always stay to watch the women as they realised what had happened. He never appeared overly concerned about getting caught, and he seemed to take more pleasure in seeing the aftermath than he did in the assaults themselves. Hence why there is now a theory that the monster had peekerism, which is a sexual fetish of penetrating the skin of another with an object. Hence why he stayed to watch the impact of his actions. There's a condition for everything, isn't there? Yeah, and it it makes a lot of sense in this instance that Mm. that's not the kind of thing in Georgian society you're going to be able to bring up to anyone. I don't know, like in Georgian society, they had like the Hellfire Clubs, didn't they, where they had all that weird shit that was going on. I know, but I, I just feel like, you know, this guy, the Monster of London, in the modern era with the internet, could probably go on a forum and find someone who would be happy to be stabbed with, you know, sterilised surgical implements or the like. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. You can pay for anything or find anything well, that anyone is into. You know, again, it, you know, the Hellfire Club and all of that sort of decadence, you needed to be at a certain class for that to be acceptable behaviour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your pauper, your, your, your common labourer wasn't allowed to go off and just indulge in any whim. Well, that, I mean... It, it's just not cricket. Well, it just, it, it's the same now, isn't it? Like, if you're, if you're rich, it's more acceptable for you to do things uh, and not get put in prison. Uh, yeah, I and, mean, Jesus. Well, there's, there's some... Some serious stuff going on right now, which is. Uh, Are you talking about Prince Andrew? The former prince. No, he's Andrew. still he's still a prince. He's just no he's... longer His Royal Highness, is he? His he... naughty boyship. Can you imagine, like, if that was you or I, mm. we'd be in prison, like, no doubt about yeah. it. Especially when you've got to and imagine stripping him of all of his titles is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a tacit admission from the Queen that he's a paedophile. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like you're if you get called to court you're gonna lose yeah we know and... that you're a paedophile andrew so we've got to distance ourselves now before yeah 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 before my jubilee so <laughs> yes god damn it i've just lost my husband my grandson doesn't like me anymore and just and uh, my i i potentially killed my son's wife in france um can you all just leave me alone now i'm old and i'm tired I've I've tried to do the right thing and look at what's happened. Look at this dumpster fire of a family that I have. Isn't it? It's terrible, isn't it? Let's be honest. I I think we should, as a disclaimer, say that we can be quite confident that Andrew was not um, the Monster of London, as the Monster of London was known to sweat. (laughs) So that's how we know. remembers being in Pizza Hut or Pizza Express or wherever it was. Yeah. The very first chain came out in, I believe it was... Probably 1787, so yeah, oh, okay, yeah, fine. it would have been around at that time. Yeah. But whatever the monster's reason for his attacks, by February 1790, approaching two years since the first attack, the patience of the people of London was wearing thin, and they began the time-honoured tradition of forming vigilante groups to try and catch him. Hurrah! Yes. The increasing hysteria resulted in women walking alone, often falsely accusing random men of being the monster, just because the man <laughs> happened to be walking in the same direction. It is you, sir. You could also be accused if you happened to stare for a moment too long. Some mm. enterprising women also took to wearing rudimentary armour under their petticoats to protect their bottoms from any unwanted prodding. 
If their clothing wasn't heavy enough, yeah, they were now wearing a like sheet of metal. brass pans and things to try mm. and prevent any any stabs. Yeah. Although false accusations were being made all across London in early 1790, some were considered to be more credible than others. When the very first victim of the monster, Maria Smith, turned to her husband, Dr. Smith, during an auction to tell him that the monster was in the room with them, he resisted the urge to immediately grab the man responsible for his wife's bottom scar and instead tailed the suspected monster to his home before going to alert the authorities in the form of Mr. Justice Addington of Bow Street. The okay. suspect was identified as William Tuffing, a former lady's hairdresser and current clothes seller who had a wife and young children. Dr. Smith decided to arrange a confrontation at Bow Street and set about contacting as many former victims as possible in order to corroborate the identification. So, Dr. Smith is being incredibly level-headed about the entire thing. Yeah. You know, it's like his wife has gone, that's the guy who stabbed me. And he's going, well, we need to first find out where he lives. Then we need to um, go and gather a panel of uh, former victims. We need to um, do this in a police station. So uh, do it thoroughly, to... like a thorough investigation. Yeah, you know, he's trying to do things the right way. He wants to make sure that it's cast iron, that it's going to stick when this yeah. this poor hairdresser is finally accused. One of the women who he managed to collect, Anne Porter, decided she would try and get a jump on things and possibly claim some of the reward money in the process by going to Tuffing's shop to see if he was indeed the man who had stabbed her. Mm. She was adamant that he was not the same man. Okay. Despite this, Tuffing was arrested anyway and was held for a few days at Bow Street before a half a dozen of the victims were able to attend together. Tuffing protested his innocence and spent the time... He was waiting to be identified in equal parts, sobbing uncontrollably and providing a series of very solid alibis for most of the attacks. I thought you were going to say just cutting their hair. <laughs> While sobbing uncontrollably. Ladies, ladies, sit down. <laughs> well, let's talk about this. That's how he got away with this. I, I, I didn't do it, but to show there's no hard feelings, here's a blow dry on me. Come on. <laughs> a blue rinse. Yeah. I'll do you a wicked perm. But no, he, he basically, he was between just uncontrollable tears. Yeah. He was able to give the Bow Street runners a series of very, very solid alibis for all of the dates that they were saying. Where were you on this night? I was I was at the theatre. Can anyone vouch for you? I was playing the lead. Um, <laughs> I, I was the star. Here's the programme. Uh, <laughs> here's the, the press cuttings where they describe my performance as enchanting. I don't, what's going on? Please. I want to see my wife. Uh, so, yeah. Um, he further pointed out that he had never, ever been suspected of committing any crimes before and was able to produce a string of character witnesses who described him as pretty much the most decent and law-abiding person in London. And a fabulous hairdresser. As well, of course. And the clothes he sold you will make you feel a million pounds. <laughs> oh, yeah. You walk out of there a king. Yeah. In the event, the confrontation went ahead and all of the victims who attended said that he wasn't the the London monster, except for Maria Smith, who was quite adamant. What What was her gain? I think she just didn't want to admit being wrong at this stage. That all <laughs> those other women are lying. We've, we've gone... My husband's yeah, a we've... doctor! Yeah, we've gone this far. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we need to carry on. Indeed, it was only when the, one of the Bow Street runners barged in to announce that another attack had taken place while Maria was busy insisting that Tuffing was a violent pervert uh... that she grudgingly accepted that she might have been at fault. <laughs> well, I must have been wrong this time only. I like to think she was only halfway through her rant about how deviant he was when the Bow Street runner turned up and he was just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this play out before I announce the next attack. I'm just going to sit back and bask in her righteousness. <laughs> oh, she's still going. Oh, yeah. Oh, ooh, that's getting personal. Hmm. Give it another five minutes. <laughs> Can you imagine? I would, just for the sense of mischief. Even so... Despite the fact that another attack had occurred while he was in sight of Bow Street Runners, the people accusing him, and the judge, the judge informed Tuffing that he would be going to trial for the offences. What, even though everyone has just said it's yeah. not him? In the event, the trial never took place. <laughs> okay, but fine. just the idea that you can be accused of a crime, half a dozen of the wit- of the victims of the crime would say, that's not the guy. You provided mm. alibis and another crime, exactly the same as the others, was committed while you were being accused of it. And the judge still goes, nah, I want to see what a jury thinks. I want to let this play out. You might have got word to an accomplice who's stabbing on your behalf. You tricksy toughing. <laughs> so after this rather large farce, a Russian businessman called John Julius Angerstein... He decided Lovely. enough was enough, and he offered his own personal reward of £100 for the capture of the monster. Mm-hmm. Angerstein was obsessed with the case, and he'd done a bit of amateur sleuthing, as the rich are wont to do, mm. to try and identify the perpetrator. He had personally visited many of the women to examine their wounds and their mm, slash cool. clothing. Of course he had. He's not a pervert. <laughs> it was him! He just had to look at the skin of their bottoms in... I'm, I'm assuming he brought out a magnifying glass uh, and he would spend hours poring over the, the scars to try and discern some kind of motive. Mm. Yes, let me look at your bottom again. He he got no further than the Bow Street Runners. Um, okay. Though he did take the time during his investigations to describe each victim in detail, mm. including such flattering terms as very plain, appearance of a tradesman's wife, full and plump, what does that even mean? I, it's an insult. That's all I know. You look like a trowel. <laughs> that's, that's instantly where my mind went. <laughs> tradesman's wife? Tradesman's tool, more like. <laughs> uh, yeah, full and plump. Meanly dressed. Okay, and my My favourite, if this isn't calling someone fat without calling them fat, I don't know what is. A stout, well-grown woman. <laughs> she looks like a pig she does have you ever seen a, a fine upstanding dairy cow yes anyway I went to visit Mrs Smithers <laughs> she produces the finest milk around I, despite his diligent examination of the women of London and his florid descriptions of them his reward and his sleuthing managed to do absolutely nothing except increase the amount of useless information and false accusations that the Bow Street runners were having to sift through. Okay. Because after, you know, someone's put 100 quid on the table, over 30 men were wrongfully arrested for the crime. 
Yeah. I just I just thought there, right, so I know what the Bow Street Runners are, but for Mm. people who don't... Uh, Essentially a proto-police force. That's the easiest way to think of it. It's like, it was the Met before the Met was the Met. Probably less corrupt. Well, definitely less corrupt, I'd say. Mm. You know, they actually investigated crimes. (laughs) That was that was the big thing. Rather than protect people. Rather than stating weirdly that that it's not in the remit to investigate things that have happened in the past, (laughs) which I don't know how they think crime works and criminal justice. I'm sorry, we're just going to predict this uh, yeah. future lawbreaker. Well, they'd watched that Tom um, Cruise film and they'd gone all in and they've got a woman in a tank and balls are coming out different colours and they've got their future crime department any day now. Yeah. Future crimes will be a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, all he'd managed to do was whip up a frenzy around the London monster. And mm. I imagine that those false arrests were 50% people who went... Well, I know that the person I'm accusing is a criminal. There's a chance he won't have alibis. So maybe I'll get the reward money before, you know, another crime happens and I can, you know, say it on honest. And I assume the other half were just women who wanted to get rid of their husbands for a night. <laughs> get them gone. He came in with a pointy stick with blood on it. He's the monster. <laughs> and he doesn't like my mother. Yeah, fine. Fair. By mid-April... Things had gotten so bad that poor old Mrs. Harlow became the first woman to be attacked by the monster for a second time. Presumably, as he'd done done a full circuit of all the women in London and was on to his second go-round by this stage. (laughs) I I do that with visiting country houses. Mm. So I do like a loop and I'm like, right, I've done them now. I'll go, I'll start again. I don't don't know how, you know, in terms of your self-esteem, first of all, there's the trauma of being attacked twice. But also there's the, he didn't even remember me. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I felt a bit like that um, with COVID. Mm. Um, I'd survived uh, until very recently being COVID free. Uh, and I was a bit like, oh, well, not even a global pandemic wants me. Like This is, <laughs> this is really upsetting, well, then, isn't it? And then, then it, get it? and then it struck. It struck hard. <laughs> Joy, I am wanted. <laughs> you want me. You really, really want I me. I am part of this epoch-defining <laughs> pandemic. Yay. I am human. Woo. When people ask, did you get COVID? I can say, yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Wasn't nice. No, I, t- I don't recommend it. So, yeah, he's on his second go around at this point. And even worse, it seemed that other misogynists were taking advantage of the hysteria to just commit assaults of their own against any woman who had wronged them safe in the knowledge that the attack would likely be attributed to the monster this included a woman being punched in the face and knocked out cold so nothing like a monster attack but at this point everyone just went monster wasn't it anytime a woman was injured in any way it was blamed just automatically that one person Mm. the authorities thought they finally had the monster in early may when a Lieutenant Walter Hill was arrested for bothering a woman by banging on her door in the middle of the night. The judge sent at once for one of the more recent victims, a Mrs Reed, who took one look at Walter, screamed and fainted, which seemed promising. Hmm. However, when she came round and was asked to confirm that Walter Hill was indeed the monster, 
She replied that he wasn't, and that she'd only fainted as he looked a bit like the monster. <laughs> you look awful. Ah, pass out. <laughs> oh, I hated his face so. Well, no, no, he didn't attack me. Part of the issue was the fact that the descriptions of the monster were now, since the reward and the potential um, copycat crimes, so varied as to be entirely useless. As according to different witnesses and victims, the monster was both short and over six foot tall, with pale and dark complexion, wearing both threadbare and brand new clothing over his slight and portly frame. Uh, to be fair, that just sounds like me in a week. <laughs> well, yeah, this is this is the thing. Because they were just lumping all the copycat things in, they were just chucking all of the descriptions of these other victims <laughs> in with the, the, the rest and going, oh, so right. So he's an, he's an eight foot man who's two foot tall yeah yeah he weighs both more and less than a whale he is all things to all people essentially by this point indeed if you dislike someone you could now simply shout monster point at him and be fairly confident that they will be soundly beaten by nearby vigilantes i might just do that when walking around glasgow monster (laughs) yeah but it was it was like the perfect thing and Apparently, at the time, men were starting to feel very, very self-conscious because they knew that if they did anything that could be seen as offensive, women basically had on tap the ability to have them beaten. That's a very rare time that women probably had an upper hand. Well, I'm saddened to think that this was one of the few times in history when men felt a need to treat women decently just in general and it took because they wouldn't be the threat of a beating yeah at any point because the complaints they were going to that and now you can't even you can't even go up to a woman and say that she looks nice unannounced without possibly being beaten it's like well should you just be able to just walk up to people and start commenting on their appearance Mm -hmm. really yeah it be nice um, I mean, if you people people that? people do it all the time, don't they? Really? Yeah, but it'd be, it'd be nicer if it happened less. I think. Yeah, or if it was a compliment rather than a mm. like, oh, a, a I really like compliment. I, yeah, like oh, I really like your hair. Where'd you get it done? Mm. Where well, it's interested and it's not. Maybe if I say she's got a fine ass, she'll I don't know have sex with me. I don't, I don't know what the end game of that is. No. Yes, I do. Marry me. Yeah. No. And there wasn't only you could get men beaten up if you wanted, but as happened on at least a few occasions, if you were a woman wanting a bit of attention, notoriety, you could simply slash some of your clothes and claim you're being attacked by the monster. Oh, God, so it's just got really out of hand, hasn't yeah. it? And they think that a lot of it was, um, you know, there were genuine attacks, there were copycat attacks... There were women claiming attacks because they wanted attention, and there were other women who would see a man just walking down the street, and they were so on edge that they would almost invent a hysterical pseudo attack. They would say, "And it would go from a man was walking near me to, and he grabbed at my clothes, and I barely got away." Which, mm, again, for, yeah. for the people trying to catch the London monster, it's it's impossible because you're being yeah. told that attacks are happening in places where they're not, you know, and it's just. I mean, even if the Bow Street Runners was larger than, like, eight people, really, (laughs) at the time, it was just impossible. 
Then, around mid-May, the attacks abruptly stopped. Some thought it was because the monster had been press-ganged into service in the Royal Navy. It was preparing for a war with Spain at the time. So they were just, you know, grabbing people and putting them on ships. Yeah, you sir, here, now. <laughs> yes, this is you for the next six months. Enjoy. I'm the quite, pay is I've terrible, all, but the food I've... is also terrible, so... Yeah, scrub oh, I couldn't that. Be, I couldn't work for the Navy. Out of all of them, that would be the worst one, I think. A lot of these people probably felt the same way. That's why they had to press gang them. Yeah. Other people, though, they thought he was simply laying low until the hysteria had calmed down a bit to reduce the risk of capture. After nearly a month with no new attacks, it seemed that the monster was fated to disappear like the phantom that so many suspected him to be. Was he a ghost? Well, some people felt he was. But then... On Sunday, June 13th, 1790, the former victim, Anne Porter, was walking in St. James's Park with John Coleman. And I love this. He was the self-styled fishmonger to the Prince of Wales. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just loves salmon, he does. He just loves it. That was his claim to fame. Yeah, fine. Anyway, Anne turned to John and said that there was a man near them who was the one who had attacked her. She thought that they were looking at the London monster. The man in question was Renwick Williams, a 23-year-old artificial flower maker and trained ballet dancer and violinist mind who had fallen on hard times. Oh, okay. Coleman, he tailed Williams for hours before finally confronting him, only to find out that they'd actually met before several times. Okay. Nevertheless, Williams was locked up and his possessions searched. Not a single sharp or pointy object was found. And Williams had an alibi for when Anne Porter was attacked. But it was still decided that the positive ID was enough for a trial. Okay. During the trial, a number of the victims were brought to view Williams and corroborate that he was the monster. And again, there was disagreement. However, there were a number of positive IDs including one that was immediately proven to be false, as Williams had not been in London at the time of that particular attack. Okay. She'd gone, that is, that is the man! And he had produced um, train tickets and a theatre ticket to show that he was actually in Liverpool. <laughs> I, my point stands! <laughs> yes, my point stands, and I was in Liverpool, which is a very fine city... I don't know if it was that fine back then. Mm. And further information that Williams had been accused of being the monster on two separate occasions before he had been pointed out by Anne Porter convinced much of the press that this was the man. So the problem was, even though not all of the women were saying that's the man, enough of them were. And when he said, well, look, I've been accused of this twice before and I've never been prosecuted for it because it was found to be false, they went, ha ha! Well, this is the third time he's been accused and three strikes, you're out, sir. That's the way the the law system in England works. If people accuse you of a crime three times, it means you must have done it. Yeah. Um, Joe, you took all my money. Joe, you took all my money. Joe, you took all my money. Can I have your house, please? I love your house. Shit. I should not have told you that loophole. Um, (laughs) Does it still apply today? Well, I'm worried now because it's recorded, so... But I do. Uh, yeah, own no, but you have access. Yeah. You have access to the recording, not me. <laughs> so, um, you're, you've got a nice house, nice view. Oh, it's a it's a lovely view. Yeah, 
I, I want to keep it. Uh, no. Right <laughs> I'm I'm evicting you, your wife, and your two children. Good day, sir. Good day. Doesn't it's, work. It's the proper English here. The Southern English. Yes. Yeah. The real English. The world is set up for us, not for you Northern types with your cotton mills and poverty. <laughs> Seeing that he was likely to be found guilty, regardless, at least Williams could console himself that assault, even with a weapon, was only a misdemeanor charge at the time, meaning that he would not be sentenced to hang or to transportation. Okay. I think transportation is potentially worse than being um, killed. Well, that being said, a lot of people who were transported, served out the sentences, chose not to come back. Oh, I suppose if you've, how, I don't know, how long you lived there mm. for, 16 years? Or something? Well, it's something like, you know, you might have been the shittest butcher in London and you had to make ends meet by chopping up a few cats and children. But in Australia, <laughs> you are possibly the only butcher in Australia. So you are the finest. Yes, yeah, so you are the finest and you've got a reputation and you've and got... They're... There'll yeah. be a shop in Sydney somewhere that says "finest butcher from London in 17... Da, 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 established this establishment." Especially as a butcher, you've got all these new and interesting animals to butcher. Now yeah. you could be the first person to serve kangaroo. kangaroo. <clears throat> so I went through a phase of um, eating exotic meats, and to be honest, a lot of them are just shit. A lot of them is the description of it tastes like beef, chicken, fish, or pork. That's that's basically what yeah. I get from it. It's like, oh, it, it tastes a bit like turkey. Yeah. Then I'll just Aus- eat turkey. Ostrich burger was was a big thing <clears throat> for a while. <clears throat> the thing I I contradict myself so much because I'm like I I could never kill an animal to to eat it ever. I couldn't do it, and yeah, I'll still have an meat. ostrich. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, they're quite scary-looking animals. I'd, I'd rather there were less of them in the world. I mean, that fucker would win. Mm. It is a dinosaur. Mm. It's a dinosaur in a disguise, and we need to kill yeah. it. Otherwise, we're going yeah. to be in a clever girl situation before you know it. So, yeah, amazingly, stabbing someone with a weapon, misdemeanor. This was the time of the bloody code as well, so Christ knows how that slipped through the net. However... While stabbing people was only a minor charge, it turned out that defacing garments was a felony, and it was this charge that was made against Williams in order to allow for the death penalty to be an option. Is it because it was like like a, a property thing rather than a person? Yes, there'd been um, a spate of, I think it was like a workers' rights thing, and they'd mm. taken to slashing the goods that were being made as a way of proving their point Protest. to their employer. So that had been specifically lit. You know, they put a law in place specifically against damaging clothing, in order to yeah. break that strike. But they sort of found it on the books and went, "Ha ha ha, that's a felony. We can get in with that rather than the stabbing people, Got you. which is a misdemeanor." Which seems a really weird way for the law to be working at that time, isn't it? Yeah. At the trial. Williams was provided with a solid alibi by his former employer and 17 character witnesses who testified to how respectful Williams was to the women he'd worked with. Mm -hmm. One of the women called by the prosecution also admitted in open court that she had made up her own assault by the monster and had insisted it was William as a bit of a laugh. (laughs) What's wrong with people? Mob mentality though, isn't it? Also, point out, this woman walked free from the court and nothing was done to follow that up. Yeah, 
like nowadays you would yeah. hope that like wasting police time yeah, if you or stand up lying, in front of a judge and go no no he didn't hurt me uh, i made it up i was bored <laughs> and this has been mm. very exciting thank you i got to uh, finally an excuse to wear my best hat <laughs> oh here we go the jury were asked at the end of this trial to if they believed Anne Porter or if they believed William's co-workers, and then, if they believed Anne, to decide, and this was very important, if he had been trying to stab her, in which case he would actually be innocent of the felony charge against him, or if he had been purposefully trying to deface her clothes, in which case he would be guilty. Right, okay. So the judge had to instruct the jury that if they felt that this man was the monster and that he had been trying to stab the woman, they would have to find him innocent of the okay. charge. <laughs> right. However, if they felt that he had been just trying to cut her clothes and that the stabbing into her buttocks and into her chest had been him missing the mark, as it were, then they could find him guilty. What? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Anyway, they found Renwick Williams guilty. Of course they did. Everyone loves a hanging. Mm. However, after an outcry in the public that it was impossible to believe that the monster had not been seeking to harm women, remember the uh, uh, nosegay incident, because what clothes are you going to... What clothes were Georgian women wearing on specifically their on their noses? Mm, <laughs> you know, I was going to say a bonnet. But... Uh, a retrial was ordered. So it got to the point where even though the public should... The, basically, the judge had gone, the public will be happy that he's been you know, arresting, he's off the streets and we've mm. sorted it out. And the British public, bless them, went, this is bullshit. <laughs> I, I, call do- bullshit. I call bullshit. Yeah, I do not believe this man was trying to slice up clothing. He was trying to slice up women. He deserves a trial where we're accusing him of trying to kill women. That's Let's be fair to the man. Which would have been a lesser offence than... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ripping their clothing. Okay, and then fine. he can pay a, a medium fine... And we will know, British justice remains the best justice in the world. That's what we want. So, yeah, a retrial was ordered for the misdemeanour of assault with a deadly weapon instead. By this time, Williams had a champion in the Irish satirist Theophilus Swift, which is a strong name. Is that Greek? Yes, I believe it's Greek originally. Theophilus, yes. I like it. He acted as counsel. And he pretty much accused Coleman and Porter of attempting to get hold of the reward money by accusing a random person. <clears throat> that was his defence, was basically, that woman is a charlatan, her boyfriend, he may be fishmonger to the king, but he is also a liar, and they have just decided to pick on any random person so they can get hold of all of that tasty reward money. Mm. And good salmon. And while it is true that Coleman got the reward... And then promptly married Anne Porter. Ah, okay. So she got 50% of the reward. Right. And the fact that Mr. Swift, he went at Anne Porter. He was calling her all the names under the sun. He was tricking her into, you know, going against her own testimony at times, making it clear that she couldn't describe the person. Because the thing about Williams was, you know, she, she gave a description of her attacker from that night, mm. Williams looked nothing like that. And he, he pretty much just pointed out all the differences. Is that like someone pulling me in front of a judge, being like, yes, he had blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, 
I do not have either of those things. Mm. So he basically went, well, let's go over your statement on that night. You know, you said that this was a small, um, you know, dirty looking man. Yes. This is a 23 year old ballet dancer. You know, he's beautiful. Yeah. He is graceful. You said this guy shuffled along. This guy trained to do ballet. (laughs) Uh, But it didn't really matter because what the public really wanted was to be able to say the monster was dead. So they convicted him a second time. Okay. Can you do this? Is this before, like, double... Well, this was a different crime. So this was this this ah, was the okay. misdemeanour yes. of yes. Uh, assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah. And because it was a misdemeanour, Renwick Williams got the full sentence of six years in prison. Okay. Which, you know, for over 70 assaults, seems quite light, actually. Yeah, it does. Hmm. If Williams was the monster, one of many monsters, or just an innocent victim of circumstance, it is true that the attacks appeared to stop for good immediately after his arrest. By the time he was released in December 1796, monster hysteria was practically forgotten, and Williams was able to marry in 1797 and then disappear from history. Okay. So he he went off uh, and just did his own thing. He d- he didn't try to fight it once he was released from prison. He didn't try to clear his name. He just he just wanted to go. Got married and probably emigrated. Let's be fair. Hmm. Like, I'm going yeah, somewhere well else. Yeah, that's definitely something I would do. Right, I'm gone. <laughs> Goodbye. So, after nearly two hundred years of violence against women in London, the nineteenth century dawned. A century where no phantom attacker of women with a fancy nickname would stalk the alleyways of London and bring terror <laughs> to the capital. <laughs> No one definitely called Jack. <laughs> yeah. Which is a shame, really, because the the ones we've talked about, traumatic for the victims, definitely. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be just assaulted in broad daylight, you know, stabbed. But looking to have your back... your skirt ripped. Looking back at it now with many centuries of, you know, sort of distance between us and them, it seems weirdly twee yeah. and sort of cute considering what was to come you know? uh, yeah 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 that was like the uh the prequel yeah. between the whipping toms and the monster of london you're looking at 200 assaults but no one was killed at any point in any yeah. of these attacks and then you get five women that were brutally murdered potentially more by mm. whoever good old leather apron yeah uh the main source for this story because it started out as a random, I think it was um, a, a Reddit poster put, Today I Learned About Whipping Tom. Um, but the main source I used was The London Monster, A Sanguinary Tale. I don't even know what a that A Sanguinary Tale by Jan Bonderson, which has, I mean, the the best thing about the, the, the London Monster story especially was the press was full force, the idea of newspapers and periodicals, everyone was printing stuff. And some of the caricatures of the London monster, just that the sheer sort of it was where the splash headline started. This story was the birth of the, you know, strikes again, exclamation <laughs> point. Who will save us from this menace? It was the full J. Jonah Jameson kind of. Yeah, well, we're coming into the age of like the printing press and all that jazz, aren't we? And it's it's written it's so good that um, the London monster because. It gives you the backstory on so many of the women who were victims. Um, 
and just how they all interplayed in terms of, you know, they were all trying to get this guy caught, but they were all tripping each other up in terms of one person would accuse someone and then someone else would say, no, that's not the same attacker as I had. And they'd all be arguing amongst themselves. And there was definitely weighting it by class. It's like, well, this woman... I think the reason Tuffing got so far down was because the person accusing was the wife of a doctor. Yeah. It's like, well, we've I just got to take Googled her account seriously. The London Monster, and there's a really funny um, uh, character chore of the big, London Monster. Big head, knife and fork? Yeah. That's the ident from this, for this episode. Oh, I love it. From the <laughs> Strand magazine. It is... I mean, what... What is on her bottom? Is that a is that a pan? Yes, that's a pan. Some women were oh okay fine. Literally a hanging a pan from a rope that they tied around their waist in the hopes that if he did try to stab, he would be foiled by the pan. <laughs> Weirdly, when that strand pitch came out, the last attack had already happened. Uh, okay, fine. Okay, so it was a reflective account. Well, no, it, it was just after they didn't know that the last attack had happened. It's just one of those weird things that this. The iconic picture of the London monster was released. Maybe he saw it and he was just like, "Oh, right, my work here is done. I've reached peak." They've made point. My bum looks so big in this character. I don't like it. <laughs> They're so mean. These press people. Well, yeah, they are. But but yes, that is the story of two. Um, what, I mean, at the time, both of them were probably the most scandalous crimes in London. I like that I got a double story mm. today. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week. <laughs>